Our text for today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Specifically, we'll be looking at verses 35 and 44 of this wonderful and beautiful and all-important chapter of the New Testament, all about the historical reality of the resurrection of Christ. There is a crisis of hope in the world today. We live in a time, we live in an age where seemingly, and there's poll after poll after poll which shows this, there seemingly is an increase of pessimism about our future. And I don't just mean the future of the United States of America and our economy and our retirement plans. I mean there is growing pessimism about the future of the world, of civilization, of humanity. This is very different than the great dream of what's called the Enlightenment period. Over 200 years, we have been telling ourselves that apart from God and his revelation, and apart from his presence in our lives, human beings on our own, by our own intellect, using our own reason, we can perfect ourselves if we have enough money and enough time and enough learning and enough education. Society can progress and progress. And yet there was World War I and then World War II, which began to make that dream begin to crumble. And now, the idea of social progress, there is more alienation and isolation and polarization. And all of those great ideas and ideals and values which once used to be shared in common, which held us together as a society in the West, those shared ideas and values are no more shared. And for the last 200 years, the great dream of scientific advancement and technological achievement, that will save us. And for all of the great wonders that technology brings into our lives, think about all the unintended consequences. I'm looking at you, social media. Oh, and how do we love the ability to travel these days? What a great technological achievement. Travel around the world. We love to travel around the world. So quickly can we get to those places we want to be. And yet it is that same technology which allows disease and virus to spread so much faster than before. There is a crisis of hope and seemingly a growing pessimism about the future. But here we have 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And what Paul is showing us, what the Holy Spirit of God himself is showing us, is a certain hope about our future, and it is a hope which is not dependent upon humanity's ability to have social progress. It is a hope which is not dependent upon scientific or technological achievement. It is a hope that is rooted and grounded not only in the words that Paul is writing, but the words and the event that Paul is describing for us. That is the historical reality of the death and the resurrection of the Son of God. 
There is so much bad news in the world today, but we have good news, and his name is Jesus Christ, risen for you and for me. Hope, real hope in uncertain times. And here in this text, we've already seen so much over the past three weeks since Easter, but two things that Paul is showing us here about this hope in the resurrection. That the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us a hope for the future. And he actually describes what that future is like. The resurrection gives us hope for the future, number one. But then secondly, Paul is also showing us that the resurrection gives us a hope from the future and into our lives today. The resurrection gives us a hope for the future, and it even gives us hope from the future. Let's dig into God's Word together today. First of all, this hope for the future. Paul here is describing for us what our future, what your future Christian will be like. We, it's a mystery. We only get a glimpse of it, but oh, what a glimpse we are given starting with verse 35. Paul is making an analogy of a seed. He says, But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. He's saying that because he knows for the people in Corinth who were very skeptical of the resurrection, these are not honest questions. But despite the fact that it's not an honest or a sincere question coming from the people of Corinth, Paul still answers their question. He says, What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but it's just a bare kernel, perhaps of weed or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed, its own body. What you sow into the ground is not the body that is to be, he says, it is a bare kernel. A seed. You see what Paul is saying about your body that you have right now, and in fact, about your entire life. He's saying our bodies and our entire lives are like a seed in comparison to the life that is to come. From your very first cry when you were born to your final breath when you die, all of your life, which you think is so important and so wonderful and you are so stressed out about so much of the time, he says that is as wonderful as our life is. He says it is but a bare kernel of a seed in comparison to the glory of the life that is to come. I'll show you just to continue to illustrate this point. Here is a picture of a rose seed. It's magnified many times. And if you look at just that seed of a rose, it's not that impressive. But you plant that seed into the ground. That seed dies. And then it comes forth again in a way that you could never possibly imagine. If you only saw the seed, could you begin to imagine what it would transform into? All of the worry, all of the stress, all of the idols, all of the achievements, all the things we're trying to do in our lives. And Paul says, it's wonderful, it's great, it's just a seed. 
that when you die gets planted into the ground. And though there is a continuation from the bodies that we have, just like a seed to a plant or to a flower, yet look at how gloriously different and wonderful the life to come will be. And Paul goes on to describe this in further detail in verse 42 and following. He says, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. That your body right now, newsflash, is perishable. I have a back and some arthritis to prove it. And you're saying, I know what you mean, Pastor Abel. Our bodies, our life is perishable. That means that time is running out. And for some of you, that produces anxiety, that produces such worry and fear, maybe even some bitterness. There are things you wanted to do with your life, and life got in the way, and now you simply don't have the time to achieve the things you want to achieve. Maybe for some of you, one of you here, your dream was to be a world-class dancer. Pastor Nate Paragoy always wanted to be a great dancer, perhaps. Yeah. But life gets in the way, and there's just not enough time. There's not enough time to become a world-class dancer. He says, our body that is sown is perishable. It is raised what? Imperishable. What does that mean? It means you've got the time. You've got the time. All of eternity is before you. He says it is sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. What's that dishonor? That's sin. I don't know about you, I know about... Are, are you sick and tired of the sin in your life? After all of these years, and the same sins, and the same stupid things, and believe in the same old, worn-out, tired lies of the old evil foe, he says one day you will be free to sin no more. You're going to be raised in glory. Right now, today, you are declared righteous in the sight of God. One day you will actually be fully righteous, shining with the glory of Christ himself. You will be the person that you so long to be in the day of resurrection. He says our bodies now, they're sown in weakness, they're going to be raised in power sown a natural body raised a spiritual body now I don't know what exactly that means a spiritual body but again it's where our body now is a seed in comparison to what that spiritual body will be but Paul means that it is spiritual but it is also a body it is supernatural but it's also natural it is metaphysical but it's also physical in other words our eternal life we have our life now, our body and soul connected in this broken and sinful world. When we die, our physical body is laid to its earthly rest and our soul goes to be with the Lord. Today you will be with me in paradise, Jesus said to the thief on the cross. But even that is not the end of the story. It is the time when Christ will return, a new heavens and a new earth, and our body will be reunited with our soul and again in our spiritual bodies, this resurrected body. We don't know exactly what that will be. It sounds wonderful, but it will be physical. In other words, 
Uh, remember what Jesus, in, in our gospel reading, he shows his hands and his side, reach out and touch me. He says, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as I have. We will have flesh and bones. And what did he do? His great miracle that he performed before the disciples to show that he was truly risen from the dead, the great and amazing miracle he did. He said, do you have anything to eat? And they prepared him some broiled fish, and it says, and he ate the fish in their presence. What does that mean? It means you're going to eat, you're going to drink, we're going to dance. And here's the important thing. We're going to have arms, and we're going to hug. Am I worried about death? Do I fear death? I don't think I do. But here is what I fear. Saying goodbye. To all of you, saying goodbye to the ones that I love with all of my heart in this world. Just this morning, boy, God's cool. Just this morning, I just happened to see this on my nightstand. And it is a little coupon that my daughter Amelia gave me some time ago, as kids will do. And it is a coupon. It says, free hugs for a week, exclamation mark. Free hugs for a whole week. The resurrection, the hope that it gives us for the future means we have those hugs forevermore. Forevermore. That's the first thing that Paul is showing us, his hope, this great hope, life-changing hope for the future. We do not have to be pessimistic. We can be so optimistic about what is to come. But then secondly, the resurrection shows us not only hope for the future, but actually a hope from the future. And here's what I mean by that, or what Paul means. He actually wrote this in a second letter he wrote to the church in Corinth. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul writes this. Listen. Christ died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Therefore, because of the resurrection, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What does Paul mean? He means that the new life, the new creation, which will happen when Christ returns to this world, our new heavens and a new earth, and all of this world restored, and that fullness of that life we will have one day, he says, you can begin to have in your life already. The new has already come. Not in its fullness Hasn't been completely consummated yet, the kingdom, but partially, provisionally, maybe just a taste of it at times, but the life that is to come, that hope that is to come, the joy and the love you can begin to have in your life even now. It has already come. As we wrap up here today, I want to explain this and apply this by the means of our mission here at our Father Lutheran Church. Longtime members, or if you're brand new, our mission is helping ordinary people know and share extraordinary life in Christ. 
What is that extraordinary life in Christ? Again, that is the life that is to come one day where we will have a perfect relationship with God the Father. We will know Him completely and we will share that with one another. All tribes, all peoples, all languages united before the throne of Jesus Christ and outwardly the entire world will be healed and made right. That's the extraordinary life that we know and we share here at our Father. Let's talk about that upward dimension, knowing Jesus Christ. You might remember this story from John's Gospel where Mary Magdalene on that Easter Sunday is outside the tomb of Christ and she sees Jesus but she doesn't recognize that it's him. Listen again to what it says. It says, Mary turned around and saw Jesus standing but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary, calls her by name. And she turned and said to him in Arabic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And then apparently Mary just reaches out and grabs a hold of the resurrected Jesus Christ. She is just clinging on to him. And can you see her just sobbing tears of joy? There is Jesus, and she just puts her arms around him. And then Jesus says something a little strange, perhaps, to our ears. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. What is Jesus saying to Mary? Mary is holding on to him for dear life. He's saying, don't cling to me. He's saying, Mary, I know you thought all was lost and I was gone forever and here I am back again and we get to be together and the love and the intimacy and the relationship and she is hugging him and Jesus is hugging her but he says, don't cling to me because I'm going to go back to my Father and when I go back to my Father, I'm going to send my own spirit upon all those who turn to me in faith so that all who turn to me in faith may know me, may have a relationship with me. I can be literally in them and in their lives. Can we repent of the low expectations that we have of what God can do in our lives and our relationship with him? You know, I was laid up in bed for a week, Holy Week. I was watching all of you on my little computer. I watched uh, Holy Week and Easter on television, laying in bed and the pain that I was enduring. And I will confess to you, it had been several weeks since I had picked up my Bible and spent time with Jesus and the Word of God. It, you know, I'm a busy pastor. It's Lent. It's Holy Week. I don't have time to read the Bible. Laying in bed repeatedly throughout the days for that week's every single time, and trust me, this doesn't always happen, but every single time I picked up the Word of God and read, God was speaking directly into my life and into my situation, and I felt so 
close to him. Let us start living our future life even now because the new has already come and we can know and grow in that upward dimension, the extraordinary life in Christ. But then inwardly with one another, the life that we share. Let me share this quote from C.S. Lewis. It's one that perhaps you've heard before. It's one of my favorites. C.S. Lewis once wrote, remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature, which if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilization, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat in comparison. What is Lewis saying? He is saying, if you were to see your fellow brother or sister in Christ, Maybe the person here at church, when they come up to talk to you, are like, oh, please don't talk to me. Hey, how are you? Good to meet you. Good morning. Your husband or your wife, your children who sometimes drive you crazy. Children, if you could see your parents. If we could see each other now the way we will be in the resurrection, raised imperishable, raised with power, raised with the very glory of God. If you could see one another now, you could see your spouse now, you would be strongly tempted to bow down and worship them so beautiful and glorious they would be. Can we begin even now to start treating one another in this way and helping one another towards this eventual day when we will shine like stars. If you have trouble in your marriage, if you're married to a believer, try to see them the way they will be one day with the glory of Christ. You might just Bite your tongue a little more often or your fellow brother and sister in Christ and love, love one another to that day. And then finally, outwardly, the up, the in, and the out of this extraordinary life. As I said, one day Christ returns, the whole world is healed. Jesus is the great physician. He's going to bring healing to all of this broken world. Guess who we are? We are the emergency medical technicians. We are the EMTs. The EMTs who arrive on the scene, they try to keep the patient as calm and as stable and as good as they possibly come until the real work of healing begins. That is our role, dear brothers and sisters. And here's a question to ask yourself whenever you step into a room, whenever you're walking your dog in your neighborhood, in the checkout line at King Supers, in your classroom with your your fellow students, in your places of work, you ask yourself, how can I make this situation, this room, this interaction, this moment, at least 1% better? How can I make this situation, this room, this moment, at least 1% more like the world will be when Christ returns? 1% more like heaven. Maybe it's just a smile. Maybe you're walking through and there's a piece of trash. You pick up the trash and put it. But you are always looking at life with that lens because as we close here with these words, and these are words that Pastor Nate is going to not dance, but he's going to preach on next week. But I close here. You've got to hear these words as we wrap up. 
the very end, the last sentence of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. In the Lord, your labor, your work, even your smallest acts of faith, a smile, picking up trash, helping a loved one, speaking the gospel of Jesus Christ to someone who does not know Jesus, it is not in vain. It is all part of his plan to bring the consummation of his kingdom, to bring the restoration of all of this broken world. It all matters, and he uses us, and he uses everything you have never done an insignificant thing for Jesus Christ. I close with this story. I've told you this story at least 12 times before. We have hope because of the resurrection. We have hope for the future, and we have a real hope from the future in our life now. There was a father, true story. His daughter was engaged to be married. Her fiance broke off the wedding weeks before the day. She is crushed. She is devastated. The father sends his daughter a beautiful bouquet of flowers, a beautiful bouquet, gorgeous roses. Sends it to his daughter and the note read, I know that your future husband would want you to have these flowers now. That's the hope of the resurrection. It is our Father giving us a taste of the life to come even now. When you take the bread and wine of Holy Communion, the very body and blood, the presence of Christ, you receive just a bite and just a sip of the joy and the love that is to come one day. To Christ alone be all the glory. Amen.